Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today to talk about Velvet Buzzsaw, we have Michael Snydell. Hello! Hello. And we also have a very special guest with us here filling in uh, for Bill, who could not be here because of game day. We have the one... The only Dan DJ Mecca. You remember? <laughs> I love that you remembered. Uh, Finally, let's, let's get buzzed, baby. Let's get buzzed. Let's get buzzed. <laughs> Who's ready to talk about some football? <laughs> oh man! Oh man! It's been like five years. It took me to finally remember to just have the instant rap air horn sound effect button. Up on my screen. Ready to go. Yeah. Just wait for it when you plug your Twitter. It's going to come back. Anyway. Uh, yeah, here he is. Dan Mecca. How are you doing? I'm excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. That I saw. That I saw. I saw it Sundance. How jealous for all of you. Days before it was on Netflix, I got to see it at Sundance. <laughs> In a cold place that was crowded. And people were, yeah. You know what's? Do you know what's funny? You know what's funny though. You say cold, but ironically, in all my years of going, it was the warmest, and it it was the warmest it's ever been when I was there. It didn't snow once, and while that was happening, it was negative everything everywhere else. It was so weird. Yeah, that's cold. It was warming, it was, baby. It was so strange. My ninth year, me and Jordan's ninth year, and uh, that was happening. So, yeah. Get that globe warm. Yeah, I was about to say, because we, we forced Michael Snydell to go in, like, subarctic temperatures to go see, to go see Serenity, Serenity <laughs> while you and Jordan were hanging around the tropical paradise of Park uh, City. Jeez. There was a lot of talk about Serenity in Park City, though. That's the thing you find when you're at a festival like that. Like, you'll end up talking about the big movie that you, at some point, you would rather be going to see because you've seen so many small, you know, ambitious you know, reaching movies, you're just like, can I go see Cold Pursuit yet, please? You know, yeah. Wouldn't it be great to just go see something that's not trying that hard? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is real. It, the, the struggle is real. As we are say. totally talking about Cold Pursuit next week, right? Oh yeah, for sure. That movie Hell looks yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I know I don't think we've posted the review, but our 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 sometimes writer and my my B side podcast producer Connor O'Donnell saw. And for wrote a review for the film stage and really liked Cold Pursuit, so I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. I'm I'm psyched. I'm always I love the uh, first quarter of the year Liam Neeson thrillers. You know. Yeah, the Commuter. The commuter, year. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking oh, love commuter's the commuter. so good. <laughs> now on Netflix. Yep. Um, oh, speaking of speaking of being on Netflix, I'm just gonna say for anyone who's listening, listen to the end of this episode. I. I taped myself live oh, no. as I was trying to find Velvet, Velvet Buzzsaw on Netflix. What, what did was you it hard? Did you have trouble? It was fucking impossible. 
I so like I was like you know I remember we did Okja or something and it took me forever to find it and I was like okay so like but Roma was right up front so like I'm curious Velvet Buzzsaw like will it be easier hard so before I clicked on the app I took out my voice recorder and I was like all right you know hey it's me I'm just gonna like talk my way through finding Velvet Buzzsaw don't maybe it's gonna be up front and it, <laughs> I had to type in spoiler alerts for this four and a half minute clip i'm just gonna stick at the end of this episode it it, i had to type in vel before i got it in the search and like i went through like new on netflix popular trending featured netflix originals so this is interesting i don't want to go down a rabbit hole but i'm 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 gonna lead us that way this whole this whole thing of the Netflix algorithm and the way that it, it you know, it'll hide its releases and, and all of this that I read about and I, I see on film Twitter and whatnot. I will be very honest. To me, it feels strange because I very earnestly have never really had a problem with it. Like I've always found that and maybe it's just that I watch so much on Netflix or, you know, me and my wife, we have our own, you know, we share it with uh, the rest of my family, but we have our own little whatever window or own little uh, account. And I guess we just are good about it. Or I maybe, I don't know what, maybe I'm just not seeing the problem, but it's when I went like on Friday, I went on Netflix to watch something else. And and like a velvet buzzsaw trailer played for me when I logged on. No, that's crazy. No, I had to go to the search after I saw all the same stuff in like new noteworthy trending, popular, like Netflix originals, like those five or whatever, all seemingly the same sounding things had all the same stuff in it, including something that has Richard Dreyfus and yes, Chevy Chase last laugh. And I was like, stay away, (laughs) stay away, Brian. (laughs) I didn't watch it clearly, even though, uh, you know, just in the world of Netflix originals, I watched like father, you know, like I've heard that one's pretty good. I enjoyed it. It was talking about, like oh, like father. I like that movie. That was a nice movie. Yeah, the, the, I wasn't just you know doing a verbal tick. It was literally named like father. Yeah, it's a fun yeah, flick. Yeah. I liked it. it I thought cute. you said I literally, and that's this is speaking more to me. I thought you said our father, and I was like, oh, what's that? <laughs> no, <laughs> it took me. Uh, it took me forever. To, and the funny thing is, so I typed in the V, you know, because like I'm doing like the speaking into the the voice recorder. I was like, all right, I'm gonna type a V. Let's see what comes up. It was showing me stuff for V and VE that literally did not have the letters V or E in the title. <laughs> so I don't know what it thought I was going to be searching for, that it was like Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> it's like, that's clearly not what I'm looking for. But there's like some British show with like art deco font called Velvet that popped up immediately. And it showed me that numerous times. And then I had to scroll past all of it in order to get to Velvet Buzzsaw. So if you want to hear that we, happen the, live. We live, we live such hard lives. <laughs> I just like don't understand the algorithm, you know, like it's just like, you know, to pop it up for a couple hours. No, I agree. That's, that is crazy. That is I crazy. did. It did, however, immediately show me Russian doll. Oh, I want to watch that. that I, 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 have, uh, I hear very good things. That. That's Leslie yeah. Headland, who's a very talented filmmaker. with other people, right? And, and yeah. yeah, and and Bachelorette, which I think mm. we're both – I think I saw both movies at Sundance, as a matter of fact. She's, she is uh, very good at her job. Well, long story short, I watched the entirety of Russian Doll last night. 
Is it short? It's like Wait, half hour are you episodes. Being did you really did you really watch all of it? Yeah, it's like half hour episodes, and I think there were like eight episodes. Oh wow! Do you like it or what? I did. I, I dug it. I thought. Um, oh, man. All right. Good. I'm not as rapturous as some of the other people who who watched it, but also like I think that maybe like. I don't know. Like eating ice cream and folding my laundry isn't the best way to absorb it. No, but that's, that's uh, enough the best way. <laughs> and that's what Netflix is for. So yeah, my my buddy kind of my, for. my buddy Gavin Mevius, who he runs a really good podcast called The Mixed Reviews, uh, an old friend of mine. He has a great Natasha Leone story. He w- I went to see a movie, and someone the whole movie was like doing the thing where they were like. Um, inadvertently every once in a while kicking the back of his seat and he was getting pretty frustrated about it obviously like anyone would and then at the end of the movie he turned around to kind of just give a dirty look to the person and it was natasha leone and he felt so and he loves her so much that he just like smiled at her <laughs> that <laughs> Which is just more i like love <laughs> i just love the fandom of it where it's like oh, oh natasha it's okay i was gonna hold it. you responsible when i thought you were a dirty normie like me but now that i know it's you <laughs> i love it i love that story I am. Um, it's funny that that feels like exactly the type of shit that her character in Russian Doll would do. There you go. And so, so this is the go. podcast on Russian Doll. So let's talk yeah, about episode. This is just everything we've watched on Netflix in the last couple of days. Let me give you my thoughts on the first season and a half of Cheers. <laughs> yeah, it's bracket. <laughs> I am all for this. <laughs> Where the shit is Frasier? <laughs> That's what it's, I want to know. Oh, hey, Brian. Brian, by the way, me and you've never talked about the fact that I we both love Frasier. Oh my god! See, this is why we keep bringing you back because, like, you could feel the evolution of our our relationship. We started yes. out bitter rivals and enemies, sure. and now everything that we say, it's like, hey, did you like like father? Yeah, man. Also, I love Frasier. Oh shit! Very Check. very true. Should I just leave so you guys can have a love fest together? Oh, Michael, <laughs> get in on it, Michael. I'm watching Cheers. <laughs> Well, yeah. I was going to say something nice about Netflix. I think they changed their credits thing, that it automatically goes to something new. Because when I watched Velvet Buzzsaw, it played the entirety of the credits. Uh, which it did I was the same for about. my daughter when we watched Hotel Transylvania 3. <laughs> Interesting. I'll have yeah. to look at that. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't noticed that. Interesting. Now, with the TV shows, clearly it's kind of like, all right, we're going to get you the next one. Don't worry, you fat sure. idiot. Um <laughs> Don't, don't put down the, the the popsicle stick so that you can reach for the remote um. yourself. Um, anyway, clearly dealing with a lot of self-loathing. What are we here to talk about? Velvet Buzzsaw. But we still haven't done any of the usual front matter for this show. So let's try to get through that pretty quickly. Find us on Twitter at FilmStageShow, Facebook, The FilmStageShow. Uh, email us, podcast at FilmStage.com. Go on iTunes. Give us a comment and rating. We love it. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film state show to uh, give us a little as $1 an episode, which gets you access to our Slack channel, cool raffles, and um, of course helps us to produce even more cool stuff. We will at some point start doing the classic reviews that we owe you people. We just got to find the time. Um, <laughs> and odds are the first four of them will all be Tony Scott films. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that. Uh, also, of course, we are brought to you by Mubi. The online streaming cinema, where every day their pensive, thoughtful curators bring you a brand new film to enjoy. The Sundance Takeover is still happening with a bunch of great films. For instance, Little Odessa, 1994 film by James Gray, who recently did The Lost City of Zed. In have you addition, seen this one, Brian? Little Odessa? Have I you have seen not. Little Odessa? No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it now it's that it's on movie. Pretty good. 
pretty good movie. Yeah, looks like it's got a uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tim Mr. Roth. Orange in it. Yeah, that's the good one. old Eddie. Good old Eddie Furlong <laughs> movies. It's a, like a really good first movie. No, Edward and, Furlong is in this. Yeah, it's like they're brothers. I think it's Tim Roth and Edward Furlong, and it's like r- Russian Russian uh, people in that makes Brighton sense Beach. If it's Little Odessa, so yeah, Soviet Jews, Soviet Jews in Brooklyn's Brighton Beach. Yep, interesting. <laughs> Uh, Edward yeah. Furlong, of course, the person who played young John Connor. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And American um, History it, X, is that him too? That's him. Yeah. He's also an American Heart with Jeff Bridges, and then he uh and then he had a little wayward situation. So <laughs> that sounds ominous. <laughs> Anytime that a child actor in Hollywood has a bunch of hits and then disappears, I assume that they got singered and decided never to come back. Oh, brutal. Sad. Yeah, I know. Sad. Oh, I, th- I mean, like, that's just the sad truth is like, anytime it's like, whatever happened to that really like charismatic, like handsome child actor? It's like, well, I can imagine why he doesn't want to be in the movies anymore. Um, getting <laughs> off of that dark tangent, however, Winter's Bone. <laughs> By Deborah Granick, whose Leave No Trace appeared on a bunch of our lists, is uh, currently on there. This, of course, is a film that introduced the world to everyone's favorite meme-worthy actress, Jennifer Lawrence. It was the winner of the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. This enveloping drama by Deborah Granick also kickstarted the career of Jennifer Lawrence uh, with her fiery turn as an ordinary hero. Set in the Ozark Mountains, Winter's Bone is an intimate odyssey of family, women, and survival. So yeah, all that can be yours and more if you go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. So check it out. Okay, so yeah, it's only taken us, what, 15 (laughs) minutes? We can finally talk about Velvet Buzzsaw. Again, this is the newest film, uh, newest Netflix original film, this one. It was written and directed by Dan Gilroy, who previously did Nightcrawler. Like that film, this movie involves Jake Gyllenhaal and Rene Russo, as well as Zawe Ashton and Tony Collette and David Diggs and John Malkovich. I feel like those are all the people who belong above the title. So, settle in. Here is the trailer. Critique is so limiting and emotionally draining. I'm hoping you find something to explain what's happening. Which one's better? One or two? Better or worse, no different. No different. I'm quite curious to know what you think. I think sober hasn't been good for him. Pierce was in the full bloom of alcoholism here. Exactly. Never should have quit drinking. No originality. No courage. All right. So this movie, in a nutshell, is about the modern art world and its commerce. Uh, when a man passes away in an apartment building, an agent finds his stock of never-before-seen artwork and begins selling it all around town, when suddenly people start dropping dead. Yeah, that's about it. That's it. It's a good end to this movie. Um, opening question. When does John Malkovich play a better struggling artist in this film or in Art School Confidential? 
I have never seen Art School Confidential, as a matter of fact. Really? No. Same. Same. I have not seen it. It's What not, do you think, Brian? It's not like so Art School Confidential is not a great film. It's um in fact like that's uh I feel like uh my like <laughs> bouncing back and forth between like there are some really good parts, but I think the whole thing doesn't hang together is gonna be an opinion that I just throw at every film we talk about from this point moving forward. Um John Malkovich, however, it plays a professor in this film, and there's there's a point like his line reading, his posture and everything in this one moment really sticks out to me. It's like someone is at his apartment and says, as while looking at a painting of a triangle, he says, How long have you been painting the triangles? And John Malkovich takes a pregnant pause and then just says, I was one of the first. <laughs> and I feel like there's a lot of that in this, as you can hear in that trailer where he says, I never should have stopped drinking. So, well, the buzz saw. Here we are. Uh, I assume that we all liked Nightcrawler to some extent. Or am I the only one who's seen that? As I well? <laughs> no, I I saw it and I I liked it. I think at the time I rejected it a little bit, uh, partly based on the overall reaction to it. I kind of felt that um, it wasn't doing as much as it thought it. Uh, it wasn't doing as much as it thought it was, mm-hmm. um, though I did enjoy Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. And there's kind of some sort of irony with that opinion to, I think, the opinion I'm going to have about this movie as a, when concerning how the cultural culture is starting to feel about this movie in comparison to Nightcrawler. But regardless, um, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. I'm in a relatively similar camp to Dan. I I think that it thought it was a little bit too clever for its own good in a certain sense. But I I really liked uh, I really liked Dick Gyllenhaal, but I especially liked Rene Russo and uh, Riz Ahmed, which that might have been as far I I would have to actually take a look. But that might have been the first time I had actually ever seen Riz Ahmed in anything, and he really uh, caught my eye. Yeah, I, I know he was in Crawl. Four Lions, but I've never I, I have never seen Four Lions, unfortunately. Yeah, no, neither. My, have I. my my thing is that my thing with Dan Gilroy, who's a very accomplished screenwriter for many many years, I think Roman J. Israel is incredibly underrated, and of these three, is still his best film. So, I'm sorry, I believe you mean Roman J. Israel Esquire. I apologize, Roman J. Israel, comma. Esquire. Yes. How how goddamn dare you? Um, look, I'm gonna sign, I'm gonna sign off. Uh, I'm sorry for my mistake. Yeah, no, I I um I think it's underrated. I think look, we'll talk about it. These three movies, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, obviously Gilroy is his mind is focused on a certain type of way to tell a story in a lot of respects. And I think of the three, the one that resonates the most for me and what it's trying to touch on is uh, Roma J Israel, comma Esquire. Yeah, let's see what else he's done. He's done Free Jack, Chasers. These are all his writer, of course. Uh, Two for the Money, The mm-hmm. Fall, Real Steel, The Bourne Legacy. Uh-huh. Underrated. Not, not the other Bourne movies. Bourne Legacy's underrated, though. Which were let's done by Tony Gilroy, if I recall correctly. Yeah, Gilroy wrote the first two. Yes. And they, they kind of fired him off of three, and George and Alfie came in and wrote the third which Gilroy? Yeah. Tony. Tony wrote oh, yes. the first two. Okay. And then Matt Damon had that really nasty quote about his script for the third one. And um, if you remember, you can look it up. Damon was like, I could have got this guy fired if I showed people this script. It was so bad, which is kind of weird because Tony Gilroy 
might be one of the best writers alive. He and also he directed Michael Clayton. So yeah. anyway, and um, Duplicity. Yes, very yes. good, very funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Born Legacy, Nightcrawler, Kong Skull Island, Roman J. Israel Esquire, Velvet Buzzsaw, and his next is an announced movie called Stan Lee's Annihilator. <laughs> Are we going to have to change the title of that movie? <laughs> I, I wasn't on this episode, but did you guys like Kong? I forgot. Fucking hated that movie. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I loved Nightcrawler. I have yet to see Roman J. Israel Esquire, despite that poster with uh, Denzel Washington's hair. Um. So let's talk about the Buzzsaw. Let's see what we uh, thought about this newest outing from this writer director. Let's start with our special guest. Dan Mecca. Velvet Buzzsaw. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, the short, the long and short of it is I very, very much enjoyed this film. Uh, as I said, I saw it at the Eccles Theater at, I guess, the world premiere um, uh, on last Sunday. So a week from uh, a week uh, before we're recording now uh, in Park City at the Sundance Film Festival. And um, I think in the room, it was relatively well received. I think a lot of people had mad reactions. A lot of people had negative. It definitely was pretty mixed. But um, for me, and I, I saw it with a uh, uh, good friend, Vince Mancini of Film Drunk. I think I enjoyed it a bit more than him. I enjoyed it. I mean, I think um, we can get into it in depth. It's clearly a satire. Um, the satire part of it, I could honestly, I could give or take the that right i think in terms of a film with characters and dialogue that's meant to be funny and engaging that's what i responded to i was engaged by the set pieces and the characters any sort of commentary i kind of left at the door as soon as we were going i I don't think there's much uh, there's not much commentary that i need to dig into too much almost not unlike nightcrawler but as a as a piece of entertainment, I enjoyed it a whole lot. All right. Michael Snydell. There's few things that you can do to make me more excited for a horror movie than invoke Final Destination. So when I started hearing comparisons to that, I got real excited because those movies are extremely trashy, extremely satisfying, and oddly moving at times. So hearing that, I was really excited for this. And I I really, really didn't enjoy this film very much. I, I think that the set pieces were about the only thing that I did engage with. But I, I, I'm finding, especially lately, that like this uh, CG violence is, is really starting to annoy me. Because I think I, I don't necessarily need it to be practical, but I think I just want my violence to be splattery. But onto a tangent, uh, that tangent being done, I, I think the actual movie is, you know, I, I wish I could say I could take or leave the kind of really empty, like Emperor Has No Clothes art criticism in this, but it's a lot of this movie. And the dialogue in general, I just didn't find as sharp as I wanted and combined with like kind of this very disjointed and like 
almost ambitious is what I describe. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I think around the time this goes from like the second to third act, it seems to be interested in a lot more, but it doesn't seem to have the runtime to actually grapple with it. Um, so I, I think Jake Gyllenhaal here too is, I, I think it, it's going to be your mileage may vary even more than some of his most like, uh, arch and out there roles like like the first thing you can say about it is he's like he has much more fey mannerisms that there is like a definite queerness that hasn't existed in in his performance and other things like this and like on, on some level that exaggeration is fun to watch and his facial facial reactions are are really just kind of like infectious but this movie i just uh i kept wanting it to just kind of like commit to the trashiness in a way. And I did like, I, I thought the things that it, it did have in its, its mind about like how much all of these people in the art world just hate each other. Like some of that I found uh, entertaining and, and kind of fun, but it's, it's really in short supply compared to a lot of dialogue that doesn't go anywhere and i kind of thought it, it has admittedly been a long time since i've seen nightcrawler but i thought gilroy's direction was really I, again just kind of disjointed and um just he had no idea how to handle these kind of tonal divides the the one thing i will say is i really like um or i shouldn't say i really like but i think the cinematography by robert elswit in um who is you know mostly known for pta films i guess is probably his biggest credits he's done a ton of films though especially in la um and how he stages some of the like horror set pieces are pretty interesting but for the most part i really just found this kind of kind of lame and underbaked so i i wish i liked this one more I am uh, going to side with Michael on this one. I um, feel like this movie needed like th- one to three more passes on a script level to really land like it wants to. It, the, I feel like there are literally whole characters who could be excised and you wouldn't really feel the difference. And I, I just feel like... yeah. I, <laughs> This is so, this is really dumb to say, but there was a point when I was like out loud to myself, you know, sitting in my, my living room watching this movie. And I was just like, when are we going to get to the murder art? (laughs) (laughs) I was expecting that to be like the second thing that happens in the movie, but I swear to God, there's like 30 minutes of character set up, which is like fine. But then the movie never really capitalizes on the kind of terror and and worry that you usually get from a movie like this. When I say a movie like this, I would mean like a slasher. You know, like the Final Destination movies will like really lean you into these usually very thinly drawn characters. And then, you know, you'll get to see them die. And then you'll get to see them live through dying because the they always have... They have their cake and eat it, too, by showing you everyone dying in, like, a car crash and then having that not actually happen. And then you get to watch them all die all over again. And this movie, I was just like, I don't give a shit about any of these characters. I found them to be 
I thought that Jake Gyllenhaal wasn't leaning into it enough, like to be weird enough. And I found his, um, his character to be, I don't know, kind of like, I was really hoping that he would become like a gumshoe detective kind of guy, but he does like, it's, I'm already failing to talk about this intelligently and coherently. I found the characters as they were set up and as they related to each other to be very thin and very uninteresting. And then I found their respective arcs to be very perfunctory and very unengaging. And I think that you needed to whittle the cast down. You needed to do a bunch of other shit to really like get to the mean bones of this movie that I think are it's clearly most interesting idea. And the fact that we end this movie, I guess like in my head, not really being any the wiser about like the mystery and the weirdness it just annoyed the shit out of me. And I, it's such a rich idea that has been tackled in like one or two other works. You know, the idea of some mad genius and his work reaching out from beyond the grave to kill people that it was just like upsetting to me that when the movie was over, I was like, that's it. That's what you did with this idea and this cast. You know, like, all of the weirdest parts of Jake Gyllenhaal are in the trailer, and I was really expecting more of that. I didn't care about, like, the weird soap opera thing he's got going on with um, Josephina, who's played with by uh, Zawe Ashton. Yeah. I thought that, like, her sort of, you know, Mephisto packed with the devil thing was really kind of annoying and pointless, and I never cared about her enough as a character. And I don't know that I've seen her in anything else. Um, looking at it now, I guess she was in Nocturnal Animals and a season of Sherlock. I, I highly recommend a show on Netflix right now called Wonderlust with Tony Collette. Okay. Uh, she's one of the, uh, main supporting casts and she's very good in that. I thought that she was abysmal in this movie and every time she was on screen, I, I mentally detached and her, her character and her part in all of this and her acting of that character like actively decreased my enjoyment of this film every time that they were on screen which is perhaps like the meanest thing that i've said about an individual performer in a movie in a long time because usually i i hedge and say like i just think they didn't have the right part and clearly i don't think that she had like the right part i don't think anyone in this movie is served by this script but i thought that all of her choices were precisely incorrect and I don't know if that was the direction she was getting or if, like, it just played better on the day. But, like, I was upset every time that the, the damn movie would cut back to her and how tightly twined she was with the other, like, more interesting characters whose actors were giving them a little more. That's so interesting because I really, really enjoyed her performance. And she, for me, was... Along with Jake Gyllenhaal, one of the standouts. Now, see, these are the fissures. Mm. These are the cracks. All the cracks in the friendship. Yeah, this is how the friendship <laughs> falls apart. This is how you get buzzed. The velvet buzzsaw breaks it all down. Well, I, I, I think like before we get into spoilers, I just want to, I just want to kind of ask this a little bit because I, I agree with all the things you're saying, Brian, but I somehow. I, I felt like a lot of this was intentional, and and that is not. I, I'm not trying to say that. Oh, it made its great point or anything like this, but like just the way that so many of these arcs are compacted in the way that they are, I found so strange. 
like uh, like in terms of uh, you know pretty big actors who die very early on in this just because like it, it is you know it is maybe just about whittling down that cast but i can't like this is the type of movie that is so strangely paced and like so backloaded to me that i can't help but wonder like am i missing some larger thing about what it's trying to say with its structure <laughs> or something I, like, like it's so strange that i I'm worried that I'm just missing something right in front of me. Michael, people give you so much shit because you hate everything. Um, <laughs> and I want people to realize, as as a man who has to talk with you at least once a week about art, your mind will sometimes contort itself trying to make yourself believe that something could be good. <laughs> in a way that comes off as though you never want to hate anything. This It's the Ready Player One thing all over again, where you're like, I think it sucks on purpose. <laughs> Which I know is not, like, your actual opinion, but you have a way of saying, like, I just feel like maybe all the bad choices are supposed to be bad choices. It's like but if you want to play with the idea of a birthday cake and human mortality, and that's why there was broken glass in it and it wasn't cooked all the way through. But you know, I maybe like... what we see as flaws were actually an artistic <laughs> choice. I mean, yes, I... I... Yes, I am an insane person. I will acknowledge this. <laughs> but <laughs> you have a pathological know. need to believe the best in something, even if you hate it. And I just want everyone out there who thinks that you just love to shit on things I to mean, realize Mike, that living Michael, with your brain must suck. Michael, I would say that you find critique limiting and emotionally draining, wouldn't you say? Uh, <laughs> Look, critique is very limiting and emotionally. All my appreciation has evaporated for you, Dan. (laughs) I think that's what you would say, right? That's why Dan came on this podcast, to burn all the goodwill he's built up over all the other podcasts. Burn it down, baby. Burning it down. Cynthia Erivo's not in this movie, so there's nothing to Let's talk about Chicago alderman politics for ten minutes. Yeah, first of all, how how well did this movie actually represent the art world? That's the real question we need to answer. I will. Can I say one funny thing? There was a tweet, um, and I cannot remember who tweeted it, but there was a tweet that said something like, oh, if you're into art, this is definitely a movie you have to see. And let me just say that that (laughs) is not the case. Now, I enjoyed this movie, and maybe I can segue this into my kind of overall opinion, which I already alluded to. But for any satirical element of this picture, that that is second place in my mind to what to the set pieces and the characters, right? Like whatever Gilroy was intending to do, right? And I think there is this idea in the movie that he's pro artist and anti commerce, right? Because obviously, sure. the the idea of the art is the people who make who have made and are making money from Ventral D's paintings are the ones getting killed, right? Your John Malkovich's are not, right? They right, are the people who observe it are sure. not. Yeah, the but people. Even John Malkovich feels like a Jeff Koontz. Like he's not. <laughs> well, like, but I think nah, because I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think they introduce him in such a way, and I will say one. I think one of the bigger flaws of the movie is that you don't get a couple more scenes with Malkovich because I think, you know, if, you know, we can get into spoilers, but, you know, he's meant to represent kind of another side of this thing and is not in it enough for it to matter. But I will say that, yeah, when you look at the painting, um, 
that does not mean you are going to die. But if you look at the painting and then, you know, somehow, uh, you know, monetarily benefit from it, then it seems you will pass on. Right. And in a very gruesome, uh, creative way. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, mileage may vary is I guess kind of my argument for the positive. Right. I mean, you know, I, when I saw this movie, I enjoyed the ride, you know, what it's actually saying and look it's funny we brought up nocturnal animals and it's kind of interesting that um that uh zowie uh, ashton is in nocturnal animals there's a lot of nocturnal animals that you would think about when you think about velvet buzzsaw i mean they're very similar conceptually there's a lot in both movies that is happening that you could kind of pick apart and parallel uh between them so I think I feel similar about Nocturnal Animals. I enjoyed Nocturnal Animals a whole hell of a lot. And I think whatever the, whatever whatever they're trying to say in Nocturnal Animals ultimately matters far less than just the performances and the music and the set design. You know, so that's when I say mileage may vary, that's kind of what I mean. You know what I mean? For me, I'm probably closer to your guys' general critiques than you would think. It's just that those critiques kind of they fall to the wayside for me a little bit, and I'm just kind of enjoying the ride. I and actually, I really like I like Hall's performance a lot as well. I loved Nocturnal Animals. I, I don't remember. I, I don't know how much people remember about us talking about that movie, but I I loved that movie, and I yeah. did feel a little bit of that mainly because I, I feel like Amy Adams and Renee Russo might live in the same house. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, Nocturnal Animals, you know, had that kind of biting satire, like, of the phoniness and the the, the the art, you know. You'll never forget the opening images of Nocturnal Animals. And obviously, they, sh- they shared Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Zawe Ashton. I, I don't know. There's just something to me, like, it, I just feel like, again, this is, like, such a rich vein to mine. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like the movie does it so poorly. Like, I, I, and I hate to like hold it against like whatever movie I may have already had in my head, but like I'm usually pretty happy to put that movie away if the movie that's being made is interesting. But again, I just feel like there's a point at, at like 30 minutes before the end of this movie where this movie suddenly remembers like, oh right, we had like a whole thing we were gonna do. <laughs> um, and and even even boiling it down just to like if you profit off art I'm gonna murder you. I I just I feel like I've got some logic gaps that I'm not sure about and I don't know I I really I there's a oh Christ I can't remember the name of the book now. Um, there's a book about a filmmaker named Max Castle I think and. What is this? I can't. Flicker. Flicker is the name of the book. It's by John. No. Yeah. All right. So Flicker is the name of the book. Flicker is a novel, and it's written by Theodore Rozak. It's from 1991, and it's about a, a B movie director named Max Castle, who's like a, a forgotten legend of film, and they these people start finding some of his old films and like trying to bring them back, and then it turns out that like. The guy was involved in some sort of weird hyper-Christian cult type of thing. And the movies have, like, a power to, like, alter the human mind through, like, subliminal imaging and stuff. And they're really cool. It's a really interesting novel. It goes some places. 
And I like, I just, I guess part of me really was hoping that this movie would, would go into, you know, Ventral D's life in the way that Flickr goes into the works of, and life of Max Castle. Like I, I, it's such a crazy idea for a film, you know, Velvet Buzzsaw. And I just really wanted more from it. I wanted it to do some crazier stuff. I, like I said, I wanted Jake Gyllenhaal's character who, who claims that he wants to write a book about this guy to like become a Sam Spade type and, and really like dig into it. And it just never happened. And like, we're introduced to like an art restoration person who later on like comes back like an hour after she's first seen and you're just supposed to be like oh right yeah she found something crazy and we're only now exploring that so like the clues aren't doled out well enough they're not you know really glued together in any meaningful way towards the end of the movie and so at the end of the day like you're left with knowing so much not so much more than you get from like the log line for this film and that kind of annoys me because i feel like it's in that backstory and in the discovery of that backstory that you would get a lot of the cooler stuff. And I mean, you both have brought up like set pieces. Like I don't find the set pieces to be particularly interesting or well done either. So like all over the place, this movie is just like a wafer thin and just like, you know, suspended over air. Like there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing here for me. But it's, I, I think it's wafer thin, but it's also like, Dan, you've been talking a little bit about how your problems with the story kind of went to the wayside with these other things. But like, you know, it's one thing if we're we're getting if we don't feel like this stuff is there. But this film feel or it doesn't feel it's dense. Like the dialogue is dense. It doesn't mean anything. But there's sure a hell of a lot of time spent in conversations about the the currency of this of this uh sorry of uh Dietz's work and um you know whether it is not worth anything or if it's worth everything or who actually thinks it's worth something and who doesn't like it, it is teasing or prodding at all of those things it, not successfully granted I want to be clear I'm not trying to give this movie credit I, I'm saying that it's it, it's that seemingly uh that seeming emptiness, like that larger container that seems to be around this film that makes me a lot less charitable to it than something that would be, you know, a quick and dirty slasher. Like I've seen plenty of quick and dirty slashers with wafer thin, uh, you know, with uh, wafer thin intentions. And, you know, they're not great, but I'm fine with it. But this, I felt like, I had to slog through all of that bullshit and I feel like I got nothing about it and I feel like I'm angrier about it because of it. Not even necessarily because it doesn't become a detective story or it doesn't, you know, I, I, I didn't even have like a vision of what this should be, but it just didn't have anything that I wanted in either of, you know, the two worlds that it wants to, uh, not branch, sorry, bridge. Like that's that's what makes me feel like all the more annoyed with this film wasting my time. I, I'll you know not to not to pile on. At some point, nope. the person who's more positive sure. will be sorry, Dan. This moment. Dan. <laughs> no, um, no, no. Yeah, I'm just I'm taking it all in. I mean, in, 
in truth, you know, not to interrupt Brian, but in truth, what's hard for me is, you know, my my positivity really it's hard to, you know, the things I can point out are that, you know, you're talking, you're bringing them up, right? You know, I really enjoyed Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. I liked Zowie Ashton, everybody else, Tony Collette, Rene Russo, right? One thing about Rene Russo I found interesting, if not a little aggravating, is that it does feel like she's in another movie. Um, she's kind of playing it very, very kind of, uh, everybody else is working at 11 and she, she seems to be working at eight, which I thought was kind of an interesting, I would, would agree. Yeah. Which is, I, I thought it was, it was obviously a clear choice, but an interesting one. Um, so, but point is, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with your critiques. So it's hard for me to kind of counter right. only to, only to say what Michael, what you're saying was a slog, I just did not feel that way, right? I mean, I I sure. really enjoyed that Art Basel opening. You know, I thought the way it's constructed where we're meeting, you know, where you have – I mean, and that's in truth when I'm watching this movie. When that movie opens and we have Hall, we have – you know, his name's Morph. When Morph comes in and he makes his entrance and he, and he like, crushes the Hobo Man, uh, you know, robot installation piece and the guy's, like, begging him for a good review. And then Zowie, uh, Josefina, uh, Zowie Aston's character, Josefina, is told by Natalia Dyer's character, Coco, that uh, her boyfriend's cheating on her and she's got the Starbucks and she's trying try not to cry. All of those things I felt very entertained by. I was laughing. Oh, that's thought it, madness to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought like, you know, and these people are easily hateable, of course. And I think that's obviously intentioned for the most part. Right. But I enjoyed that. Right. I mean, I was laughing at it. I was laughing. You know, the whole bit. It's in the trailer. It's probably in the trailer that you just listened to on the pod, you know, where they're looking at a piece of art and Tony Klett's like sober hasn't been good for him. And, or Jill Hall says sober hasn't been good for him. And then Tony Klett's like, oh, he was drunk when he painted this. And uh, and and Jake Gyllenhaal's like, exactly right. Like that idea of like, he's just bullshitting, right? There's this like, there's all this all it's all bullshit, right? right. All what you thought was a, a critique against that painting, he's now like, because like, oh no, I like this painting. Wrong. He's like, like yeah. oh yeah. Well, I, the way I the way I read that scene is, you know, he's like, I think that sober hasn't been good for him, which is just like a shitty kind of thing to say. And then she yeah, points sure. out that that painting was done when he was drunk, and he's like, exactly, because like. I, I think that he wrong. didn't like that painting and tried to make a point and then was proven wrong. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that this one's great, but the other, his new one sucked, right? Huh? <laughs> and, I will, and I will say a critique that I, that bothered me that I agree with you guys about is when he starts becoming, you know, uh, Sam Spade, you know, amateur Sam Spade and looking into Ventral D's, I got excited and the movie does basically um, abandon that because I think, look, and this is a screenwriting thing. We've talked about versions of this on the pod before. Mm. The movie runs into a problem inherent to the idea of making and building narratives, which is that you're not going to stop the paintings, right? Like, you know, like that's the, you know, and this, we might be slipping into spoilers here, but whatever. The point is like you, you know, inherently the idea of this movie is difficult, like, uh, in terms of how to solve the problem because you've made an unbeatable monster, well, right? Think, like it's right, a painting. So what I, do you, you know what I mean? Like to my mind, the, the ideal version of this movie would be just 
coming to the realization that yes, the paintings are doing it. You know, like maybe ha- like it's it's difficult though because the first person to die is literally grabbed by monkey paws <laughs> in from a painting. <laughs> It's uh, it's real dumb. Also, and like, this is uh, we're gonna have to get into spoilers real soon. Yeah, I'll say, yeah, let's just get into spoilers. Well, hold on. I, I want to say a couple Brian, things. Cool. I want to say a couple things before we get okay. into spoilers. I think that the music in this is very reminiscent of uh, American Psycho, um, especially in that opening where, like, literally, I think it has like the same kind of like tempo switch and like you know pluck string as like a drop of blood that's not really blood hits like the floor. Um, and so there was a part of me that was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I hope this has that same kind of vibe as American Psycho. American Psycho, a, a deeply disturbing and like well done portrait of a specific time and place and subset of America. And so I was really hoping for that. And I think that like the first scene slash 10 minutes of this movie really let me know that I don't think that the people making this had control over it. Uh, you know, you, you talked about meeting all those characters and it felt, it felt like someone who was like, ah, just like really on Coke trying to tell me a story like about his friends. And I've, uh, maybe this is too specific of a thing. I've been in this situation. Um, but like, just, you know, you, you want to like spend a little time to get to know some people, but it's jumping around so much and throwing so much out immediately that it just becomes like hard to keep up and you just eventually like disengage and, and everyone so, like, has a different relationship with each other as well yeah and so <laughs> and then you know we've got Jake Gyllenhaal turns out like had a thing going with with Zawe Ashton and you know you just got all these people and they're all talking about stuff and like you don't know anyone's name yet everyone is throwing names at you there was a point in the middle of the movie when I was like, did David Diggs make Sphere? <laughs> and because I just like, I couldn't figure out why he was still around. <laughs> like, it was really difficult for me. And it just feels like if the movie had a better control over its tone and pacing, which clearly are things that each of us has struggled with in our own way, you know, you'd get all the information you needed in 15 minutes and then you could get to the fireworks factory and start to kill some people off with paintings. And I just, there was a part of me that was like, you know, I, I feel American psycho in this. I feel aspects of flicker. I feel all these things that are good at being what this movie clearly wants to be. And this movie isn't really hanging out with any of them, like in, in the same, the same league, the same stadium, the same anything. It's, it was, it was just like, you know, like I keep saying, it was a real, it was a real disappointment for me. I, I think the other thing too about the the possibility that you know the main conceit of this is is kind of dumb, like it, it, it's kind of hard for, from a screenwriting perspective. But that's that's been a thing with a lot of horror films. I mean, if you want to talk about mm-hmm. the Ring and, and Ringu, like that makes a, a very compelling procedural out of a fucking videotape. Like, right. and you know like that's that, something, and you know sorry, the videotape ahead. is killing people, and you're yes. fairly certain it can't be stopped. But you, you, that, that's kind of what I'm saying. You know, you you picked actually like a perfect example. Like, I just want to learn about it. Yeah. I want to find out about Samara. I want to like know what happened and how this tape got created. And I would love if this movie did something like that with Ventral D's. I sure. think you could like create that really good mythology that would then be the point that you're trying to make more than just like, look at all these people trying to profit off art. Let's kill them. 
now because, oh my God, I forgot that people should die in this movie. They do kind of have the scene. It just absolutely goes nowhere. It's the scene with the forensic examiner. Uh, or, or not the forensic examiner, but the person who's examining the paintings. Well, it's like the even person... that scene is right out of like a second act into third act, like murder mystery. Right. Also, the scene with the guy at the uh, the sawmill or whatever the yes. sawworks. Or, it's or like... the, well, it's not really a sawmill. Like there's like pressure. Yeah. I don't know what that is. It's probably not a sawmill. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think it's a sawmill. I think that the the word saw is in the name of the place. Sure. Um, <laughs> But, like, yeah, like, there's so many things like that where I'm like, okay, this is where we're going to find out something. And it's literally just a person being like, here you go. And then <laughs> we just never tie that to anything. We never make it mean anything. Yeah, you're right. There's not – I mean, and then there's, you know, that that gentleman at, at whatever factory that is is basically like, yeah, D's was not good. <laughs> you're like, okay, cool. All right, bye. Yeah, you know, there is – really talk to him much. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, there is there is a bit of that. Um yeah, I guess you guys are right. This is the worst movie I've ever made. I'll, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. The Cloverfield paradox still exists. So, yeah. Um, no, I mean, look. It's been on my I mind think, recently. It's the, I, it's I think cool. this is a rare movie where um, – yeah, I think this is one of these rare cases where as I watched it um, – yeah, I see, I see everything you guys are saying. I think there's a lot. I mean, look, another thing, and Brian, you mentioned this before, something I'm actively trying to do less of, and because I think it's an important part of being, you know, whatever, semi-professional, professional watcher and educator of things is, um, yeah, like, don't, it's hard, try not to watch the movie and get mad that it's not the thing you wanted it to be, mm-hmm. right? I, that's, I think, something that happens more and more these days. Um in film criticism that does aggravate me as just a reader. You know, I don't, I don't love reading a review where it's like, it wasn't this thing. And I thought that's what it was going to be. And that makes me mad. You know, I I don't love that. So I think, right. And I hate that as well. Like, no, no, I know. And I think where I'm coming from as a viewer is, yeah, this wasn't really what I thought it was going to be, but ultimately I was kind of in on it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the deepest like that's not the deepest uh, commentary I can give or I've given before, but it's just the truth. You know what I mean? Like I would be lying if I said I didn't enjoy myself. And I think as I kind of move forward, it's one of those things where – and I feel like this – I mean not to bring back – Widows was almost – I, I, I feel like I, I was similarly saying stuff like this about Widows. There were flaws in that movie, but I kind of really disregarded them because I was having a really good time. Right, and so, Widows wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be either. Like I was expecting right. like Widows to be heat and I think we – it's not a spoiler to say that like the heist in that movie takes like five minutes. You know, It's much more of a process movie and like right. – I can think of a bunch of movies that weren't what I thought they'd be that became some of my favorite movies of their respective years, like The Grey and, um, right. you know, uh, the Brawl in Cell Block 99. I mean, these are movies that, like, I was primed for one thing and then I was like, wow, this is slower, more meditative and probably, like, a lot sadder than I was expecting. Um, sure. But I'm down. But this movie, like I said, if it, if it decided to be something else and did it really well... I think I'd be a lot more charitable, but as it stands, it's just, it's a movie that didn't give me what I wanted, which is fine if you do something better or even just something good. And instead, like, it was also just not a very good movie. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of different issues that I had, but, um, let's, uh, let's do spoilers before Michael says something about Widows. Um, <laughs> so spoilers for Velvet Buzzsaw. I, um, 
I don't know that I agree with Billy Magnuson, uh, who plays Bryson dying as part of the whole, like, if you profit off of art, you deserve to die type of thing. Hmm. Well, but he's going to go, he's going to sell it. Was he going to sell it? He seems Yeah, that's the whole, no, that's the whole, he has a whole thing about that. No, because he's frustrated because he was working on art and not really getting his chance. No, because he, he, he he separates, he separates the art in the truck and he's going to take like pieces. He like makes a call or something in the movie. He's going to take some of the pieces and sell it. So the minute he does that is when things get weird. Okay, because see, for my mm-hmm. for my mind, he he's like he's he was talking about how like he wanted to be an artist. Now he's just an installation guy. Yeah, but like he he everyone seems to at first like really respond in an artistic way to these paintings, and he seems like he maintains that as well. Like it seemed like he pulled a piece out specifically for himself because he appreciated it. Yeah, I think there's that too. I think it's both. I mean, it's I'll be honest. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. It's a little muddled, and even, and even it's weird. And c- correct me if I am wrong here, but they never find his body, right? Correct. No. So right. some Which, people are killed and remain in place, and he, I guess, is now in Monkey Town. <laughs> right? Is that the implication? In the painting, he, into, he goes into Jumanji. And he's like running around with Dwayne Johnson and Robin Williams just with the monkeys and Jumanji. Yeah. Welcome to the jungle, dude. Well, that would be like the Zoe Ashton thing, if that is the case. Oh, true. Like, Zoe Ashton gets like painted. But that's the only two, unless I'm forgetting something. But I guess no, this, this, this Don, is my point. The John rules. Don Don is hung. Such a good name. <laughs> Everyone in this movie has a crazy name. And this made me wonder, like... It, when you enter the art world, do you have to pick a new shitty name? Or when your parents name you something shitty, do you just say, well, I guess I got to be in the art world? <laughs> like Damrish. Damrish. Oh, that was, I was going to ask if he digs his name is Damrish, right? Redora. Uh, Morph. Like, but Morph Vandewalt is. Morph Vandewalt is a great name. Come on, great name. I, great I assume name. that his actual name is like Steve Jenkins. And he <laughs> like moved to LA, got some thick rim glasses, and was like, Steven, my new name is Morph Steven Vandewalt. Jenkins. Lead singer of Third Eye Blind. Is that, is that true? Yeah, who I met. I saw them in concert, went backstage and met him. Wow, you live a semi-charm kind of life. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to be a jumper if we continue this conversation. I love it. As I, love I, it. As I said it, I said to myself, <laughs> I, I hope to God good. that Michael really like sighs loudly. How's it going to be? Uh, uh, what was I going to say? Um. But I also Jake Gyllenhaal, like I don't think that he's technically profiting off of art. Like he's writing a oh, book. He's going to profit off the book. But like, it isn't isn't the writing of a book different than the wholesale selling of said art? Like, you know, it, life itself. Not life itself. Wait, what's the <laughs> what's the documentary about about Roger Ebert? That's it life is itself, life itself. Right? <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, like, you know, I wouldn't say that, like, you know, (sighs) Roger Ebert or the guy who made the, 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 the thing about Roger Ebert was like trying to profit off of Roger Ebert. Like there's, there's a certain level of understanding that you get from doing something like that. And so like, I would view the killer painting. So that's true. But like, I, so this is, this is why I needed to learn more about (laughs) ventral D's. Cause like, you know, if he, you're right. 
if he literally was like, you know, I only want people to see these for free. Like, I only respect the audience and critics who don't profit. Like, as a critic, I can tell you there's no fucking profit you in know, it. <laughs> you know? You know what's a huge misopportunity to, to your point? And this, I'm only actually just thinking of this now. Well, it's a huge misopportunity with the Ventral D's character, who is the artist who dies. You mentioned in the beginning, and he's the guy who made all these paintings. What's a huge misopportunity is when he dies, he's trying to burn the paintings. So there's this moral thing that was happening. So the guy seems like he was an evil son of a bitch, but at the last moment, in the last moments of his life, he was trying to prevent people from seeing these paintings and is that because like so that's the other question i had like did he like i wish we had learned more about that that's kind of fascinating like why did curse them and then regretted it or did he not know that they were cursed right right like is it the type of like you know to go back to flicker in flicker the guy who's making the movies wants the movies to do some shit but like if he were just a guy who was making art and then was like oh my god i've i just realized that my art's gonna murder people i need to kill it and then, like, it's just – it's it's indicative of the sloppiness and, like, the not-thought-through nature of this movie is that some of the paintings seem to want to kill themselves. When Josephina enters the place and is looking at these, like, the, the embers reignite in the, the yeah. hearth. And when What's-His-Face Bryson is murdered by monkeys, um, the, the, the fl- a fire starts again. You know, like we keep seeing these images of like fire plucking its way like veins through these paintings. But like, what kind of agency do they have? Like, is it the paintings or is there a single spirit that is following the paintings and becoming more diffuse? And it's, um, it's, uh, it's annoying. And, um, I don't know. And, you know, it's, it, it was, it's one of those things where like it, it became harder for me to invest even in the force that is trying to murder these people, the more the movie went on because I couldn't figure out what it wanted and why it was waiting so long. Or what its nature is even like on a physical level. Yeah. Like, like here's like, if it was something like, you know, the pain in these, in these paintings is supposed to like bring something or help someone understand. But like the selling of that perverts the pain and like reflects it back on the person who was selling it. That's something I can get behind, you know, and that uh, there was a point when I was watching this in the beginning when all the the artists are looking at it and they're like, oh, my God, like, this is amazing. And I was really expecting, like, the lesson to be that, like, viewing it with your eyes and letting it enter your heart is like a way to change your life for the better. And viewing with your eyes and like turning it into dollar signs is going to kill you. But like, you know, I mean, David digs, I guess, when he looks at it and he's like, you know, if you stare at it long enough, it moves and then he leaves and then immediately joins his collective again. Like, is that just because he's been touched in the normal aesthetic way that anyone looking at it could be touched? Or like, was that also a supernatural, like, compulsion? And similarly, was everyone else having nightmares like Jake Jill or like Morph was having? Right. Like, like, that would almost be the more not to again play if I wrote the script, <laughs> but, I, but wouldn't that have been mo- co- more coherent based on what is in the film to like spend so much of Morph's arc is, you know, him going to the eye doctor and him thinking he's seeing things. And that doesn't seem to really happen to the other people 
until like the end. Like it was just very strange to me. I, you know, whether you were, you're talking about Rene Russo or Zah Ashton or, um, or yeah, sorry, Rene Russo or Zah Ashton or uh, David Diggs or Tom Sturridge, like all of their experiences aren't really parallel to, to Jake Gyllenhaal. Right, and is I, and, like, it because he's looking at them more? Like, you know, because he's writing this book, like is he staring at them with more intent and meaning? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be that he just knows more because he's like the one looking into it or something. Yes, but like, you know, again, like we don't feel like he ever really learns that much. Like well, that that poor, that poor, like why isn't the art restoration catalog woman who is a part of this industry murdered? You know, like... Why does she get out of it? And and why do they kill Redora on, on that same, well, on that she same sold, level? She sold the art. No, I know, but she's she like right. I, I think that was weird to me too, because like to be fair to the film I was already talking about, Final Destination does a lot of that like bullshit. Brian already said have cake and eat it with characters who think they're fine and they're still fucked. But yeah. like, but like still that. I think that's what felt odd to me is I feel like this film seems like it finds some like emotional catharsis, especially with that long sequence where they're like taking all the paintings. And I did find that like kind of interesting. And then like they killed her anyway. Like, like that thing that just can't help. But like, I I just don't know what this film is trying to do not based on what it should be, but based on what is in here, like I'm having trouble finding a coherent through line as a horror film, as an art satire, or even as a drama, uh, or sorry, or even some type of serious, uh, you know, parable about um, art and commerce. Like, like all of that stuff fails on on me, and like I can't help but like this is the weirdest thing. This is the weirdest thing to take away. But my favorite. Um, part in this film doesn't fit at all. And it's the scene where um, Coco walks and finds Tony Collette's body in the gallery. And it's like shot from like this, uh, sorry, uh, from this tall angle. It, it has like music. It's like a very, or not, <laughs> doesn't have music. It has this very melancholy music and it's taken very seriously in a way that none of the rest of the film is done. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like bitterly ironic, but like also kind of dramatic and interesting that this young woman has seen the death of three different people. And like her arc was like oddly interesting. Like, she oh yeah, cool, yeah, interesting. yeah. She, Nat- Nat- Natalia Dyer, right? You talking yeah, about yeah. that? Yeah, Natalia yeah. Dyer as Coco. Um, my favorite thing about her is that I think the implication is that she lives because she is not successful enough to technically profit. Yeah, she I, just keep, she keeps right. losing jobs, and her employers keep dying. But so she never actually yeah. gets to cash a paycheck. But that was the tone of the movie I liked. And like you're saying, Michael, maybe if it doesn't play enough for you for the rest of the movie, then it'll just be more aggravating. But I found that so funny that she finds all the bodies. Uh, I just – every moment where she like gives the different screams, I don't know. I really – I really – At the end when she finds – She says fuck. Yeah. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal's behind. She's just like, fuck this. I'm done. Like I can't. It's over. Um, yeah, that was good. Now, my other, my other. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to spend this whole time just nitpicking this movie no, to shit sure. because it could be done. But like, you know, why is Hobo Man in that 
storage closet area like is that literally the storage closet where he had been placed or is that just like you know a spirit coming to life and taking a form because like all other art that it kills people in this movie is pre-existing so the the assumption then is that like hobo man was actually in that like you store it facility and just got out because it needed to kill jake gyllenhaal um, Especially when they previously explained those things. If those words were inexplicable early and they wanted it to be like totally unknown what was actually causing this mm-hmm. and just that these bizarre – to have these almost just be bizarre hallucinations, like deadly hallucinations, that would be cool to me. But they spend so much of the runtime actually explaining it as well. Yeah. Like it's not those like they can get away with not explaining there. it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, well, I had something else to say with relation to Coco, and I can't remember what it is. I think, like, maybe just, like, you know, she's a more interesting character. I did like how she kept finding everyone. And, I, you know, she takes the cat, which, you know, yeah. might mean something. I, but I'm not yeah, that sure. Made me, that made me happy. I was happy for that cat. I'm glad sure. the cat got away. You know, maybe yeah. the cat was doing it, you know? Maybe the, maybe the cat. <laughs> They kind of do. They kind of do film it in a weird way that like semi implies he might be doing it. But I guess this is my point. I think at the end of the day, and maybe this only happened in the edit when Dan Gilroy he realized he didn't have a whole full satire. But it felt like he was poking fun at the movie while it was going on, in such a way that he maybe knew that what he made was relatively vacant and i feel like i kind of this is oh my god michael's michael's weird brain infection is now (laughs) dan mecca's brain infection No, 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 no no this is important though my point is i don't here's my point i don't care if he knew he was doing it or not Mm -hmm. this is uh this is important to me people feel different ways about this but this is how i feel i have as i get older and watch more movies i feel i care less ever thinking about the intentions of the filmmaker. Oh, interesting. I, I, mm. I, I, if it's, if it needs to be there because it's a big part of the, of the experience, of course I will. But I feel as though, uh, for me, it just matters less and less and less. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I, cause the minute you, I'm a very big believer. The minute you finish art and you put it out into the world, it's no longer yours. I mean, you made it obviously, and it, you have a love for it that nobody will ever fully you know, appreciate. But this is like the George Lucas thing, right? You make star Wars, you put it out. It's not yours anymore. It's star Wars, right? right. I mean, People take Star Wars, they make it their new modern religion. That's their thing. You can't put it back in the box. You know what I mean? You can't, even no matter how, no matter how many times you recut it, it will still be Star Wars. So I feel, you know, you know, this is a very, you know, limiting example, Velvet Buzzsaw, but same thing. Like I kind of felt like the movie was having fun looking inward at itself and probably knew it was a failure of a satire, but maybe not a failure as a piece of entertainment. So that's kind of where I end up enjoying it. I mean, I like that it's not as navel-gazing as something like a, a the square, which is something that some people liked uh, right, right, from right, a few right, years right. ago. And, and that that felt self-conscious to me in, in a way that – and strained in, in a way that – I will agree with you, Dan, that it, it does seem a little – this seems a little more playful. But I think I'd be more willing to give you that interpretation. And again, I, if, if it ended there, but it ends during the credits with Malkovich – you know, trying to find his own muse on the beach. And so, like, on some level, that seems to 
indicate to me that this was always meant to be more serious. Like, it's playful, certainly. But, like, I don't know if I can get behind some of that, like... Oh, yeah. I, I, anything about the edit there with, with that last shot. No, like, I agree. Even yeah, if I, mean, I think that... I think that last shot is actually kind of interesting, but, like... Again, it almost reasserts that vacancy that you're referring to. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I think it's really a matter of I do think it it's the eye of the beholder in a lot of ways, right? I mean, this is mm. it sounds like I'm defending myself, and I <laughs> guess I am, but but it is right. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. No, it is. I mean, yeah. 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 And that's yeah. like that's and that, like you know, I, I like a bunch of things that I can't really explain. It's just like for me, this like I said, just. From minute one, I felt like, you know, it's like if you're in a car, like, you know, maybe it's not a Porsche. Like, my car's not a Porsche. My car's a 2004 Saturn Ion. But you get in it, you turn the key, the motor hums, and when you're driving, it's smooth. So, like, you know, seats are falling apart. I can't roll down three of the four windows. Like, but it's going to go, and it's going to be a smooth ride. But then there's sometimes you get in a car and you turn it on and it shudders and you can hear it struggling. And then like the first time you hit the brakes, you realize that like they're not really responsive at all. And that that's what this movie felt like. Like immediately I sat down, you know, turned it on and I just felt like the, the bad editing and I felt the bad pacing and I felt the weirdness of the tone. And I was just like, ooh, this is not going to be an easy ride. I don't know. It kind of sounds like the car didn't even start for you, Brian. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I guess the car moving is just the continuing <laughs> forward momentum of one image coming after the other. You know, like <laughs> I got to the end. I made it. The sure. movie went all the way. I watched John Malkovich happily like spinning around and drawing in the sand. I think that, that it's fun. <laughs> I um, I think that it like and the the. The weird part is that, like, Rene Russo's death is, like, kind of works for me. Hmm. Even though it's, it's, and this is beyond the point, but, like, the movie's called Velvet Buzzsaw. She was apparently in a band called Velvet Buzzsaw. With a terrible logo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, like, that is the type of logo that, like, a grimy punk rocker would get on the back of their neck when they're making 40 bucks at, like, a warehouse show. (laughs) Yeah, You just can't afford a better one. (laughs) <laughs> and like so yeah it's like the it's the the art that she adorned herself with that is a symbol of her art that she gave up so she could make a shit ton of money um like killing her and that you know it's a cool image like i liked that but also like you know by that point i was just so like thrown by the little amount that i knew and understood about anything that was really happening and like if your whole point is just like if you profit off art you're not like, you know, I don't think that Dan Gilbert wants to murder everyone who profits off of art. Otherwise, he would be dying. <laughs> but, you know, it's just weird. It's it just it didn't work. And I'm I'm curious what you guys think the ending of the movie foretells with the homeless people selling Deez's art for like five bucks a pop. Like, I think a lot of people are going to die, right? Yeah. Are they going to die? Like, yeah, all the homeless people are going to die because they're profiting off of it. Are the people who buy it? No one who buys anything from him. I well, guess here's the not, thing, right? Because you bought it, you're not profiting off of it. I don't know because like they keep talking about like appreciation and all this stuff. So like you're technically profiting off of it, but like how does the art know 
whether you're buying it because you want to hang it somewhere because you think it's going to appreciate, which is something that a lot of artists actually do, or if you like really had like an honest reaction to it, and you're going to keep it. And like, let's say that let's say that you die and your children are like, I never liked this painting. I'm going to sell it. They have now profited off of it, but not out of like avarice, but just because they don't want it. Like, is that going to kill them? Brian, these are great questions, Brian. Dan, that's why we have Dan Gilroy on the line. Dan Gilroy, thank you for joining us. Uh, <sighs> I mean, but that's just kind of like what I'm like what I'm saying. Like, I just feel like the the theme, the idea is is difficult to parse. And when you end it on a note like that, it makes me wonder, like, so is that homeless guy going to die because like he's starving and wants any money and he found these things and thinks he could get money for them but he's like underselling them and is that couple gonna die just because like maybe they now have a really expensive painting but they just thought it looked cool like i almost wish that the painting would kill like everyone if they weren't showing the right kind of appreciation i think that would be more satirical (laughs) if it was like this person bought it because they thought it looked cool, and this person bought it because they thought it would go well with the like decor in their living room. And if it was like if they both died because they weren't like feeling it correctly, I think that would be almost a more interesting and like acidic and and satirical film. Yeah, I would, I would watch that. <laughs> yeah, I'd watch that. that. That sounds good. <laughs> I don't know. Like I like I said, I just I had like a reaction to this movie that was basically like, "You're not what I want," and I don't even know what you want to be. And uh, I'm just not feeling it. I'd, last uh, last thing too, and uh, Dan, I think you alluded to this, but I, I am really curious how Nightcrawler would play right now because I haven't seen it since its release, and I have, I, and I'm just kind of have a feeling that some of its uh, its points would be far duller than I even thought they were at the time. I don't. Yeah, think I mean, I think people go back for the for the uh, Jill Hall performance, yeah, right? Performance, yeah. And that's the thing, Velvet Buzzsaw doesn't have a central performance like that. You know, you think it's going to be Gyllenhaal, but you end up spending a shit ton of time with Josephina. You know, part of me kept expecting that, like, I kept expecting, like, a team-up at some point. Like, I I don't know. She's a wildly inconsistent character, too. Like, she just changes at a certain, like, she just decides on a moment notice, oh, I'm not going to see Jake anymore. Right, she starts off, like, very frail, and, like, her and Jake have a thing. And I thought that, like, he works with her, and he does not. She works with uh, Rhonda, Rhododendron. Rhodora. Rhodora, there we go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I knew that there was an RH something. So, yeah, so, like, that was weird. They have a whole thing, you know, and and she's she's frail, and then she finds her way out, and then she makes this deal with Redora, and then, like, I didn't know what the time jump was, because she just seemed immediately awful, and, and, you know, then she's going for David Diggs, and it's, I don't know, like, like... I think that that's another problem I had is that like the pacing in this movie just like destroys my ability. It feels like it could happen in a weekend. Yeah. I don't know. I think the more I feel like I almost oversold this movie in my first estimation and I have a lot more problem with it than I thought. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. That's that's the problem with talking to me, even though I'm so apparently positive and trying to find the good in everyone. <laughs> I said you're, you want to be positive so bad that you're trying to turn your negativity into positivity. Um, any final thoughts on Velvet Buzzsaw? I enjoyed it. Go watch it. It's, it's on Netflix free on now. Netflix. Just do it. <laughs> Come to another movie. I, I would recommend another movie about art on Netflix uh, that I've heard less people talk about called The Devil's Candy. Uh, it's a horror film about a, uh, a, a, a painter who it starts seeing visions while he's painting and, and starts painting these horrifying things. And it's also in parallel with a serial killer story. It's a, it's a good movie though. And it, uh, Oh my God, I can't remember any of the cast. Wonderful. It, it is from Sean Byrne who did, uh, the loved ones, which is an Australian film. that I know a lot of people like, uh, but yeah, it's on Netflix and it's not, it's a struggling not struggling painter is possessed by satanic forces after he and his family move into their dream home in rural Texas. Yes. Ethan Embry. Yes. Pruitt, thank you. Pruitt Taylor Vince, Sherry Appleby. That's, yeah, a, that's, Appleby. A, that's a cool indie cast. That sounds yeah. good. Leland Morser is in it. Yes. For, for, for uh, Also Pat Healy in this movie for one scene as the male guy. Mailman. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Uh, another another movie that takes place primarily in L.A. and um, deals in a satirical way with uh, arts and commerce is uh, Starry Eyes, which is also on Netflix. They're doing the Pet Cemetery too. Oh, they are. That's the people. Yeah. Well, that makes me more interested. In is that pet that cemetery. Starry Eyes is Lucas Haas, right? Yeah, Lucas Widow's Haas. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's uh, I don't think it's Lucas. Ha- I think it's Noah Segan. Damn it! The the other it's... who also has Pat Healy in it. Um, but yeah, Noah Segan, the other uh, strung out white guy from Brick. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously confuse uh. Lucas Haas and Noah Segan all the time. Wow, you know what? To be honest, I'm like I'm a little shook by that. I really thought that was Lucas Haas and Starry Eyes. <laughs> no, it's um... uh, Noah Segan. <laughs> I did say this is a Lucas Haas dig, so get ready for it. I finally watched First Man, which I really enjoyed a, a, a lot, a lot, a lot. And um, how appropriate that Lucas Haas plays the guy who never quite made it. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. But yeah, Lucas Haas is the pin, and uh, Noah Segan is Dode. So Dode is in Starry Eyes. Lucas Haas is killed after one scene in Inception. Spoiler he's not killed. He's like he's taken away, dragged taken away, and it doesn't look like he's gonna have a long productive life. <laughs> he's meeting up with the rest of the pussy posse, and they're gonna wait for Leo to finish with the finish with his incepting, and then they're gonna go out. You guys know about that, right? Yeah, he's oh, yeah. he's part of the pussy posse. Yeah, I mean, come on, everybody knows it's classic. He was in what? He was in Witness. He was in Mars Attacks. He was in The Revenant. Great performance, kid performance of Witness. Great kid performance, Witness. He's kind of the lead in uh, in Mars Attacks, actually. Like, kind of. He's like the main through line. Wait, is he the kid in Witness? Yeah, he's the Amish kid in Witness. Is he the oh, Witness? Witness he's the Witness. Is he, he the title character in Witness? He witnesses Danny Glover. Do some bad shit. So and you yeah, have to yeah, whisper, whisper that it's the witness when you see the witness. <laughs> God damn it. 
That movie is great. Great. Yeah. Witness, Witness awesome. is a great movie. Um, yeah, that that and Mosquito Coast, the two Peter Weir Harrison Ford movies are amazing. Lucas Haas was also in Lincoln as first white soldier. Yeah, I believe he plays Lucas Haas in uh, Lincoln. Yeah. So that's the character's name. Yeah. Anyway, um so yeah, that's uh, I don't know how I can't remember how we got on this. I think we were just telling people <laughs> other better art-based satire films to watch. Yeah, and then the one you mentioned was Lucas Haas wasn't even in it. <laughs> no, we haven't <laughs> talked nearly enough about Noah Segan. Noah Segan, who is the uh, the kid blue in Looper. Yep. No? No love? <laughs> no love for Noah I am, I am yep, trying to figure out where I know this person. <sighs> Alrighty. Yeah, great. Let's move on. Um, so what are we what else is there to say? Uh yeah, it's um thank you for having listened to this episode. <laughs> I, you know it's a good episode when it ends and I just have seemingly forgotten how to wrap up a podcast. Last last thing, sorry. Lucas Haas is also <laughs> he's in, sorry, I'm sorry. He's in he's in the Revenant. He's in the Revenant. Yeah. yeah. I said that. Yeah, he, he plays Roger Revenant. He yeah. plays Roger Revenant. And he's Wait, the title can, character. Can we do yeah. a Roger Rabbit like reboot that's called Roger Revenant? <laughs> I don't think the if Revenant was that a, popular. If there had been a character called Roger Revenant in the Revenant, the Revenant would be a little better. <laughs> Every movie should have a character whose oh, first or last man. name is the title of the movie. That is a hundred percent yes. This in is first uh, man, my friend Clinton Velvet been. Buzzsaw. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is David. David Firstman. That's my name, David Firstman. Dan, I hope you've watched all of Touch, that that uh, Keeper Uh-oh. Sutherland show I'm where Lucas Haas. I'm on his IMDb now. He's in Jobs. Oh, man. So he played a fireman in Breaking Bad and is also apparently a character, oh, only one episode, in Chicago Fire. There you go. So he's got a thing about fires. Uh, he's going to be in Knives Out. Which um, I wrote about for our f- most anticipated you're, films. You're talking about Noah Segan. I am. Right yeah, I'm back on Noah Segan. <laughs> Can it be a running thing on this <laughs> podcast that we constantly just ask if Lucas Haas or Noah Segan was in a movie? They don't look the same at all. I <laughs> they, know. Look, they look nothing alike. That's, look the, nothing alike. that's the funny thing, though, is that just like they were both bit characters in Brick, <laughs> and somehow that has forged a connection in our brains that will not be broken. Oh, oh goodness gracious. And now, now me and Ryder are back to being good friends because of this weird thing we have. Let's talk about Nora Zetner. Oh, no. Oh no! Played. Who's also in Brick? Right? She's in he was Brick also too? in Brick. Yep. <laughs> I'm just gonna go through the cast of Brick. Can we she do was, a podcast uh, where we just go through people's IMDb page? She, I could, she was I in two episodes of Mad Men. I mean, the B side is kind of like that. When are yeah, we doing our our Colin Farrell B side? Let's well, just February. Pick a date in February. We'll do I don't it. know. Make... Fucking tomorrow? Like, <laughs> oh, you have to rewatch. We have to rewatch some of the movies, I think. All right. Yeah, we'll we'll get together. We'll talk about which movies we absolutely have to see. I have Tigerland on Blu-ray, so I think I got that one in a lock. Guys, we're still recording. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> one's listening. I'll tell you this. If you're listening right now, tweet at me and tell me your favorite Nora Zedner 
performance. Yeah, give it to me. Was uh, it the Astronauts Wives Club? Nora Zenner's in this good indie. Uh, well, I didn't love it, but it's a, a an interesting indie called Creative Control, actually. Interesting. And um, and a buddy, a, a film stage friend, Rylan Arlet. Uh, sorry, Rylan Aldrich produced the movie called It Happened in L.A. That was good. That was at Sundance. That also stars Nora Zet. Uh, was it Nora Zetner? Yeah. So there you go. Zetner or Zetner? I don't know. Um, yeah, she was apparently also a reoccurring character in Designated Survivor, another Kiefer Sutherland series, which has sadly been canceled. Yeah. All right, Velvet Seven Buzzsaw. Degrees of Sutherland. <laughs> Seven Days of Sutherland. No, seven degrees of Sutherland. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, is that going to be like our new one-week limited series podcast where we just spend seven full days talking about Kiefer Sutherland? I don't think he's been in any movies that are worth a shit. <sighs> what about, uh, wait, what about, what about Phone Booth? That guy in Phone Booth, yeah. Phone Booth, yeah, which phone has Colin okay. Farrell in it. <laughs> that would be maybe, that would maybe be a B-side. I was going to ask if that was a B-side in your estimation, because that feels... It was a small hit, so, like, I think the, the thing with the B-side, and this can be, like, my what am I doing quick plug at the end of the episode, the B-side is the spinoff pod, right, of the Film State show, and, yeah, like, it kind of depends. The criteria is kind of like, they could have been hits, potentially, but if they're forgotten, then I would say they count as a B-side, right? So, like, when you think about... You know, someone like Will Smith or Tom Cruise, they don't actually have a lot of B-sides because they've only made so many movies and a lot of them were very popular. Seven pounds, I feel like, would be a Yeah, like Will seven Smith pounds B-side. would be a great. Yeah. If you so, ever do a podcast that's just talking about the B-side just being seven pounds, I'm in because I fucking love that movie. And then also, like, what? you remember you remember Shark Tale? He, like, was the yes. voice. So that would be a B-side. Cause, like, Winter's Tale? Winter's Tale. He oh, my God. He is in Winter's Tale. Yeah, he's the devil. Yeah. That's crazy. That crazy scene. You know what's so funny? That is one of literally my top five favorite books ever written. When that movie came out, it really uh, – I knew it was going to be what it was because you can't really film that book. And it made me very sad. It's a very good book. Uh, seek it out if uh, if you have any interest. That book is a masterpiece. All right, Michael. Uh, I need to throw out just a couple of, of movies and you tell me if you think that they're worth a damn, I think, was your criteria for Kiefer Sutherland. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Melancholia. Uh, hell yes. <laughs> Monsters versus aliens. I didn't see it. Here's one. You seem like oh no, wait, no. I was thinking of I was thinking of Oculus. Um I was gonna say, don't you like mirrors? <laughs> mirrors. <laughs> wow. I haven't thought about the existence of mirrors in a while. He wow. what the fuck is this? There's apparently an L.A. Confidential TV movie, and he played Jack Vincennes, the character played by noted, unrepentant, pedophile rapist Kevin Spacey. <sighs> Man. And then I think that that's it. I really do think that you're right that he's not been in a lot of very good movies. Well, early, early on in his career. Uh, oh, A Lost Few Good Bo- Men. Lost Boys, Few Good Men. Um, Flatliners. Firewalk with me, Flatliners. Yeah, he's been in a few. Young Guns. I started watching Freeway a couple months ago and then stopped because it was in a weird aspect ratio, I think, actually. But that's like the Red Riding Hood noir movie with Reese Witherspoon. 
and Kiefer Sutherland. Okay, yeah, I anyway. want to watch this just based on the poster. <laughs> a twisted take on Little Red Riding Hood with a teenage juvenile delinquent on the run from a social worker traveling to her grandmother's house and being hounded yep. by a charming but sadistic serial killer and pedophile. I have some questions about the comma. <laughs> charming comma, but sadistic comma. <laughs> He's a serial killer pedophile. How goddamn charming does he have to be for that to warrant coming before sadistic? Bokeem Woodbine, also in the cast. Interesting. You said Freeway, and I initially thought of Changing Lanes. Yes. Which is a great movie that no one talks about enough. Very good movie, Roger Michel. Very good movie. Did you do, have you done a Ben Affleck slash Samuel L. Jackson B-side yet? You said no, Affleck. But- but that would be uh, Changing Lanes would be definite Ben Affleck uh, B-side. His B-side. But you know what, though? Ben Affleck's B-side would be um, all the movies he made. Um, it would be it would be the run all the way up and through Surviving Christmas where they were all yeah. flops. So it would be like right Weird after games. Daredevil. Right? No, no, no. It would be like in 02, he had a string of movies where he was like movie star Ben Affleck, including Daredevil. And then it was like from 03 to 07 – he made a string of movies that all failed, including Gigli, Paycheck, Jersey including Girl, Gigli, including Gigli. <laughs> It would be like Gigli, Jersey Girl, Paycheck, and Surviving Christmas. That would be like the B sides. Smoke, oh, you know, because Land is pretty interesting. That's just like comeback. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, extract works too. Yeah, smoking Ace season. The one scene in Smoking Aces is pretty funny. The Company oh, Men, right? Company Men is pretty good. That movie's not great though, but. Is that the one with uh, Toby McGuire? Oh no, I really like the Company Men with with Kevin Costner uh, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Chris no Cooper. Ben Affleck, Chris Cooper, Tommy yeah, Lee. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is Tommy Kevin Costner's the Kevin Costner's the brother-in-law. He's like here. The, here we go. Can working. you remember the movie that starred Ben Affleck, Justin Timberlake, and Gemma Arterton? Yes, yeah. I can. Yes, Runner Runner Baby, <laughs> written by Koppelman and Levine, who do yeah. billions, and they hate that movie. <laughs> they, they hate it. <laughs> Yeah, Brian Koppelman, uh, he, he's uh, he's a good Twitter follow and he has a good podcast. Brian Koppelman has said kind – he never goes all the way with it because he's trying to be respectful. But basically like they sold that script. Brad Furman was the director and um, everything got real, real bad and you know they were shunned. Like they weren't, you know, you write a script, you sell, you, right. you can be invited to set, but, but you're not expected sure. to go to set. But what they did with the story, I think Koppelman like really has a lot of problems with it. Yeah, that movie's a disaster. From but. the director of The Lincoln Lawyer and City of Lies, a movie that will never be released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad Furman, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, interesting guy. He, Gentlemen, yeah. I have anyway. a question. What are we still doing? <laughs> Let's no wrap, it wrap it up, baby. All right, wrap, wrap it, it up. You know what? So, I'll say the infiltrator from Brad Furman is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's not bad. I watched that on a plane. It was okay. Was All right. The, what are Here we? Wait. Go. What? The infiltrator? Yeah, it's the Brian Cranston drug movie. Oh. Okay. Don't believe I've ever heard of that. John Leguizamo is oddly good in it. He infiltrates. <laughs> He's infiltrating in that one. Yeah. Is that the yeah. one? He plays Michael Infiltrator. <laughs> he plays Michael Infiltrator. <laughs> What's the movie that came out that had oh it had Martin Luther King Jr. in it the the guy who played him <laughs> um, David Oyelowo yeah what, and he, which one? wasn't it it was like it had like a weirdly racist name I think but it was about drugs I can't think of it Gringo 
Oh, yeah. oh, it's a comedy. That movie is not great. From last From, year. Yeah, Edgerton. Yeah. Edgerton, yeah. yeah. That movie's not uh, not strong. Joel Edgerton. Charlize Theron. David Iello. Tandy Newton. Amanda mm-hmm. Seyfried. Sure. Crazy cast. Apparently Charles terrible. Probably. Yeah, not great. Yeah. He's got a pretty good neo-noir, though. The Square. Wow. Okay, so I went... I went to the, to the gringo thing on IMDb. You know how like when a movie first comes out, like it'll like completely change the page and everything. Gringo's yeah. page is still like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is being called a prime original. Well, I mean, it's an Amazon. Yeah, it's an Amazon yeah. movie. Yeah, it came out in theaters though, right? Yeah, for like for like a week. But yeah. they've like rebranded it as like. Just being on anyway, it doesn't fucking matter. Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Let's really do it this time. Everyone, shut up. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. As always, oh, go to <laughs> our patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. Also, we are brought to you by Mubi, currently having their Sundance takeover. There's a bunch of great films. Today, just today, Little Odessa came out from James Gray, who'd previously done The Immigrant. And The Lost City of Zed, two movies that both made my top tens in their respective years, as well as Winter's Bone by Deborah Granick, the uh, premiere, premiere, the, the breakout performance of Jennifer Lawrence, as well as a number of other great films, including our favorite, Darren Aronofsky's Pie and But I'm a Cheerleader. Um, oh, starring Latasha Leone, who we mm-hmm. had talked about earlier in Russia Doll, <laughs> Russian Doll. We're not going to talk about it again. Going to keep moving forward. Don't forget also that the stages are happening now. So if you would like to vote on the only awards show that matters in this whole stupid universe, follow us on Twitter. We will pin the tweet. You will be able to follow that link to our ballot and you can fill it out. Find out. Uh, we currently have over 40 responses. You can vote for things such as the Diamond in the Rough Award for Best Thing in a Bad Movie. The Collective Swoon Award for Best Smile, the Film Twitter Anger Award for Best Problematic Fave, and, of course, the Triple Nine Award for Best Movie They Told You Not to See. So, again, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and you will see the links to those ballots. <clears throat> Still don't see Triple Nine, though. Brian no, Flying. see Triple Nine. <laughs> Triple Nine's a great movie. You want to talk about Triple Nine? We can talk about Triple Nine. No, I have no. no problem wasting another half hour no. <laughs> on a dumb tangent. <sighs> Let's connect yeah, every member of the cast of Triple Nine to Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> Six degrees of Sutherland, baby. Anyway, uh, that is all for today. Let us, t- or the next time we talk to you, we're going to be talking about that movie that we said we would talk about, uh, Cold Pursuit. Cold Pursuit. The remake of In Order of Disappearance. Is that is that one of those situations where it's the same director? Same director. And, and... Watch in order of in order of disappearance. That it's on Netflix and it's very good. Cold Pursuit's been getting pretty good reviews from what I've seen, so it's gonna be fun. Also, again, just love to see old man Neeson just taking out motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah it's and currently Dern. fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway. Did you guys see that? Laura Dern is his partner in that. His partner, like or, in murdering his, people. His I, I don't know if they're married or girlfriend or whatever it is, but yeah. You have a thing about calling people's, like, romantic interests their partners. I try to be polite to whoever is listening and, you know, try to just be sensitive to that. Very considerate. Very considerate, Michael. I, I was being I was being 
No, I wasn't being facetious. <laughs> you didn't sound facetious. The Brian sounds facetious. <laughs> I'm, I'm only facetious because, like, if they're married in the movie, you can call her his wife. I didn't know. So I understand, like, if you want to be polite to the people listening, but, like, it doesn't matter if the people listening don't believe in institution of marriage. If Liam Neeson married Laura Dern in this movie, they are husband and wife. I don't want to taint Laura Dern's modesty. And still <laughs> we carry on. Yeah, okay, all right, fine. Um, we got to get out of here. This podcast will never end because we'll just keep coming up with new tangents. Anyway, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the time wherein we actually do talk about Cold Pursuit. Let's start with our friend and guest, Dan Mecca. All right, Twitter. You can find me at DJ Mecca. <laughs> I literally forgot about you doing that. Um, okay. And, <laughs> and um, the other thing I do is a spinoff podcast of this podcast on the same feed, the same channel. So please review and subscribe and all that. It's called The B Side. We look at movie stars and talk about. There are movies that didn't make them famous or kept them famous, but the other movies they made. If you're listening now, um, the Kevin Costner B-side is up and live, and you can listen to it. And um, we'll have a couple more. Every two weeks we post it. So we have Julia Stiles coming up as part of the Almost Movie Star thing that I like to do by myself. That's a direct request from my lovely sister, Mallory Mecca, asked me to do one about Julia Stiles. And so, yeah, we got a bunch of cool stuff coming up. So... Yeah, look for that. Who was the Costner one with? Uh, I did it with uh, Connor O'Donnell, who, as I mentioned before, has kind of become our uh, podcast producer. And then this writer-director, Nicholas Gray, who's a good friend of ours, New York-based. He made a movie called The Paper Store a couple of years ago. Um, so the three of us talk about six different Costner movies, um, three in the 90s, three in the early uh Thoughts. and uh yeah it's a good one it's a long one but we go and we go deep we go deep into costner so uh look for that i want to hear all about 2000 miles to graceland <laughs> oh you mean 3000 miles to graceland <laughs> it's talked about don't worry <sighs> I, I'm, I'm done brad <laughs> uh you could catch me on twitter at, at snydell uh on letterboxd uh, I've been rewatching a bunch of the Final Destinations. Uh, seems like two's the best one. Of course, our host's mic stopped working. Cool. Okay, wait. I think I'm back. All right, cool. <laughs> I think uh, I think I need to tighten some screws on my mic cable. Um, did you? Okay, so wait, because you're you couldn't good, hear me good. shouting it, and that's no, what let fine, me know that fine. my mic didn't work. Did you talk about Julia Stiles in State in Maine? No, we didn't talk about Julia Styles at all. We just—I said that we—I would look for that coming up. It's okay, coming great. Up. I thought you already had it like in the can. No, oh no, no, no. I'll bring up State Maine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. When I do it, you oh, better. Yeah. We talked about it last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, as for me, of course, I can be found everywhere online at Brian J Rowan. That's Twitter, Letterboxd, PUBG, fucking Instagram, probably Facebook. I don't know. If you if you want to find me there, go for it. Um, of course, all of these episodes that we've ever produced can be found at thefilmstage.com, as well as a bunch of our writing and stuff, so go check us out there. And again, I just want to plug it. The stages are happening, so find us on social media so that you can follow those links. And 
be able to uh, do that whole that whole thing, all the voting. Um, other than that, yeah, again, stages, cold pursuit. Thank you so much for enduring this with us, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Talk to you next week. I will give you a nickel if you can just off the dome tell me why I played that music. This Velvet Underground song? It's a Velvet Revolver. <laughs> I meant Velvet. I meant Velvet Revolver, actually. Sure, you is did. that with uh, yeah. Axel or not Axel? Yeah. Slash, right? Slash I is meant, in it. I meant to Scott Wyland. I meant to make that joke in the pod because that was a running joke before we saw the movies. We kept saying that would have been the better name for Velvet Revolver, and you know, we kept uh, like making up different. Uh, songs for Velvet Buzzsaw, and then the movie happened. That could be another reason I like the movie. I so was going to say Velvet so Buzzsaw soundtrack yeah. by Velvet Revolver. Exactly. I, I forgot that "Set Me Free" was from the Hulk soundtrack. Which Hulk? There are the two Hulk. of them. <laughs> no, you mean the, the Hulk or the Incredible Hulk? Just Hulk. Hulk. The, oh, the angry oh, wait. one. Yes. Oh, wait, one. Good. Kind of oh. good. DJ, no, that's a kind of good movie, but I can't imagine that song in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was like over the end credits. Okay. Um, huh. That was back when, like, you know, you had to have your, your Nickelback song at the end of your thing. Had Mecca, did it. you just, like, go through my tweets in order to just now like my Vice tweet? <laughs> I was going through uh, the film stage show, and I just was liking him because I, I try to like everything. I don't know. All right, great. Okay, so we're all familiar with the fact that Netflix puts out these original movies, and a lot of times we talk about how difficult they are to find. So I thought that it would be fun for me <laughs> to log on to Netflix and see how long it takes me to find Velvet Buzzsaw, the newest film from Dan Gilroy, writer-director, uh, stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Tony Collette, Renee Russo. They put out an awesome trailer for it, pretty sure it got a festival premiere, so, uh, you know, you think this would be one of the things that they put up front. So let's let's find out. So I'm logging into the thing now. Spotlight. Russian doll. Uh, no. Nope, that's not what I want. Uh, popular on Netflix. People say I am the best No. Gonna... I don't know how long I should scroll for. I guess until I just feel like I should give up. I'm at Jeopardy now, so I'm gonna assume that we're not there. Uh, continue watching. All right, trending now. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Bird Box still trending. Wearing Gangster, Good Girls. Kimmy Roger Stone is in the mix. Seeing a lot of stuff here that's not what I want. Okay, now we got big block Netflix originals. We got Godless, which I love. Breakable Kimmy Schmidt. Some comedy things, Sex Education, You, Bird Box, Kaminsky Method. Something called Last Laugh with Chevy Chase and Richard Dreyfus. Okay, no, that's not what I want. Um, a lot of the same stuff that was on the one that I just did, the trending now. Not what I want. Critically acclaimed movies? I don't know if this has been acclaimed yet, so let's move on. Recently added, right? Today. Again, a lot of the same stuff I've seen. Incredibles 2. There's the last laugh again, which is 
Weird. Carmen San Diego. Invisible Essence, The Little Prince. Because I watched Roma. Anyway, um, no, still not there. Is that no? Remastered Massacre at the Stadium. No. Okay, so that's not it. So let's uh, watch it again. No documentaries, animation, TV shows. I feel like I'm at the end. It's it's not going to show up. It's not here. TV shows set in Los Angeles. Clearly, my scrolls have run out. So let's do a search. Give me a V. Vampire Diaries, V for Vendetta, Veronica, U, which does not even include the word V, the letter V. Van Helsing, something, it looks like it could be Velvet, but it's written in like 1920s font. Anyway, Versailles, Voltron. Okay, no, so I'm not gonna type anymore. I'm not gonna scroll past what I've typed. So VE. Veronica, the thing that looks like it could be Velvet, Versailles, Versace, Vengeance, Falcon Rising does not include any of what I have already typed. Christmas with the Cranks. Again, the open house, Avengers, I am Vengeance. Okay, no, that's not what I want. So V-E-T. No, why that's not right. V-E-L. Okay, finally, we finally found it. Velvet Buzzsaw. The third option... I'm actually gonna click on this. Is this called Velvet? This is called Velvet! It was showing me some sort of TV show called Velvet from the instant that I started, but it would not show me Velvet Buzzsaw until I wrote V-E-L. Which is fucking insane. How long have I been doing this? Recorder says four minutes. That's an insane amount of time! What are we doing here? Come on, guys. I clearly wanted Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, anyway, I'm going to watch it now, so let's hope it's good. Let's hope it was worth all of the effort it went into finding it.